Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. Um, as we, we dive into like these next coming weeks and the last couple of weeks, we've been going through the book of 1 John together, and I'm trying to look at it more as like a teaching basis so that we can grow in our faith. Again, I've been saying this every week, and, and I think it's good to say it again. You know, something that I've been praying a lot is like, you know, it's great. We, we're four years old. We'll be five years coming around like January, February, March time. But I, I've been asking myself this question, like, what, what does it look like if someone's been a part of our community for four years? And so I'm, I want to dive deeper. The community, we want to dive deeper on what that looks like as, as far as growing and being formed by the image of God, right? To be formed in his goodness. And so that's kind of where we're at. We're in the book of 1 John. We've hit on John chapter 1, and we're in John chapter 2 right now. And I want to open up the scripture, so if you have your Bible, we'll have it up on the screen. I'm in 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to be reading verses 18 to 27. And it says this. It's a hard one. I'm going to break it down, and it would be a good one, okay? It says, Dear children, John says to the church at large, Dear children, this is the last hour. And yes, you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you, church, you follower of Jesus, have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And as for you, follower of Jesus, see that you have heard from the beginning, what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father, and this is what he promised us, eternal life. Jesus, God, the Father, he promised us that we would have eternal life, that when we die, when we decay, that there is something on the other side. There is eternal life in Christ. And 26, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. And as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you, a little on that in a a little bit, but as his anointing teaches you, as the Spirit of God teaches you about all things and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Let's pray, because we need prayer for this one. <laughs> Jesus, we come before you this morning. We're grateful for your word. Holy Spirit, I ask God that as we join together as a family, as we celebrate your goodness, Lord, that as we dive deeper into the logos, as we dive in deeper into the word, that you would show us your goodness, your mercy, your your beauty, and that you would speak to us truth that has come from your word, but really that comes from your son, Jesus. Show us that this morning. In your name we pray, amen. So if I had a title for, for this conversation, it would be Standing Firm in Truth. Standing Firm in Truth. This is, this is a, a type of, of, uh, of message, of conversation that th- this is the reason why I like going through a book, because it's not like 
every Sunday that we talk about the Antichrist and about end times, right? That's just kind of not how I am. That's not something that I preach about every week. However, this, this text, John goes there. He talks about Antichrist. He talks about the last hour. He talks about what it means to be deceived. And we have to be aware of the father of lies. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about, well, what does it look like to stand in the truth, to stand firm, to posture your, your being and your soul with, with a, a sort of a stance to know that in, in, in our culture, in 2022, there is much truth out there. There is much ideology and perspective and teaching and practices out there. And, and what John is trying to say is we can actually be deceived. And we don't want that. We, we don't want to be deceived. We want to stand firm then in the truth. And so he talks to us about what that truth is and looks like. He makes it very clear. So last week we learned that a monumental part of protecting ourselves from the deception of Satan or this Satan or, enemy, or the enemy is not participating in the things of this world. It's not making the things of this world like a part of who we are. It, it's, it, it does, it's not saying don't love the people in this world and, and not even to love the creation of this world, but the things in the world that can drive us, that can, that can decay us, that can deceive us. And man, there's a lot of things that can deceive us. And it's not practicing or following the lies of this world. Remember what Jesus said in the gospel. He said that the father, that Satan, is the father of lies. And there are many liars, there are many deceivers, but he is sort of like the main father. He's the one that, that brings out these lies and this deception because his goal then is to steal, kill, and destroy your life and your soul. And I would go as far to say the scripture makes it clear. He wants to take away the abundant life here on earth. He wants you to live in hell now, here, and also in the life to come. He, he wants that. He just does not want you to enjoy anything that comes from the goodness of God. So then, of course, he would deceive. He would shift. He would make you not be firm in the truth. So moving forward along the same line of thinking, we can look around our culture and we find beliefs that are completely untrue. Yet, they are accepted by a large percentage of well-meaning people. And I'm not going to say the name because I want to honor the space or the, you know, the owners of the, of the place. But there's, there's, a, there's a, a smoothie place not too far from here. And uh, you know, I've been doing my workout thing. Sean is like my workout coach. I've been going on a regular basis. And Eric's like reminding me I need to eat healthier. So I'm like, okay. I want to have like good organic shakes, you know, I want to make sure it's not too much sweet. So I've been going sometimes when I'm in the area to like this, this sort of like smoothie place in the city. And they make it very well known uh, of their belief and stuff. And so you walk in and, and it's like, there's like the chakra bowl thing, whatever that is, you know, and, and literally like I walked in and someone was doing that thing. And I'm like, that's really, you know, makes me uncomfortable. And and, and so they're, they're doing that, and then they have all of these books that you can read on, on like, mindfulness and, and on getting closer to yourself. And, like, again, love should be the outcome. And remember, if I could quote John Mark Comer, he said that 98 or 99% of what we're trying to do in the, in the ideology and practice of the world, it actually could be true. But there's that, like, 1% or 2% that is the massive amount of deception, and so I'm in this space, and I'm a follower of Jesus, and I, I kind of understand some of this. And I'm just so curious, like, well, what is this practice and this stuff? So some of you are like, why did you read? I just was like, I'm just so curious. And I'm just like reading it. It's like all of it is pointing to like the self of love, the 
the self of love. And again, that's what Jesus does, of course, right? Like, it's about love. We just talked about this last week. However, if you go deeper into this, we'll discover that there is, I'm just to be really spiritual this morning, there is demons behind such things. And we'll discover, John says, if, if they do not profess Christ as Lord, basically like run and don't allow such practices to be in your mind and thought and being and don't allow that to be sort of who you are. And so what John is after here is there's many followers of Jesus in the church at large, but they're sort of like dabbling in both. And they're concrete, and they love Jesus, and they worship him, and they, they're in community, but yet they also are okay with these things and practice these other things and deceptions. Again, this is 2,000 millennia ago, but isn't it sort of like the same here now? Many practices, many ideologies, many thoughts, and I'm not here to sort of like, like be judgmental of such things. We're to love people, but we, we, we have to be aware and keen and wise. So... There's a thought out there that says, it makes no difference what you believe, as long as, you're in, as long as you're sincere. Just be sincere about it, man. Yeah, you gotta love people, like you should love people. Like it makes no difference what you believe in. The thing that terrifies me, because like my whole worldview, I know this sounds, this is biased, of course, I'm aware that my entire worldview, if this were glasses, like the way that I see the world is through the lens of the scripture. Right? It's through the, the biblical narrative. It's, it's through the truth of God. It's through the word of God and, and, and that, that inspired writers. And they weren't perfect. And, but yet they wrote these truths and the spirit of God has impressed it. And, and I want to be really clear. Like, I don't worship this book. I, I don't worship this. I worship the one who created this book. Right? Like, I, I worship Jesus and the spirit of God and the movement of God and God himself. And so I have to be really careful then what I'm allowing in and the practices that I'm participating with. And John's making it like really clear. He's like, some have done this and it's not good. So up to this point in 1 John, God has warned the church family about the conflict we've been reading, the conflict of light and darkness. That's 1 John 1, verses 1 through uh, chapter 2. And then in between love and hate, we talked about this Last week, so it's like the conflict between light and darkness. There's light and darkness all around us, right? And the father of lies, what he wants to do is he wants to shun out the light within you, the truth of God within you. So he'll do whatever he can to get you to stray away from such things. And there's this light and darkness, this conflict. And then in 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 to 17, it's this love and hatred, right? It's like if he says, if, if you claim to know or love God, but you hate your brother, you don't even know God. In fact, you're a liar, right? It's like, I didn't say that, the Bible said it. And, and now in today's passage, what he's doing is he's warning us about a third conflict, and this conflict is between truth and error, okay? Truth and error, truth and, and, and what's accurate and what's right. And so we have to be careful about the things of this world that we think is accurate, that we think is right, and we have to know then what the truth is and what John's, he's pointing out very clearly, truth is the truth, the truth is Jesus. I know that sounds real audacious to say, ambitious, but, but I believe the truth, the overwhelming, all-consuming truth in the world and reality we live in, at least from my worldview in the scriptures, is Jesus. And so I, if I really believe that he is truth, he is the truth, not just a truth. It's not like there's many routes to get to God. 
How many routes? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if anyone wants to come to the Father, you have to kind of go through me. Really strong language there. And if you believe that's between you and God, you have to work out your salvation on your own. Work those things. Work on that stuff. Process. Challenge your mind. Do study. Talk to those that are scholar or, or, or understand the scripture a little bit more in depth. You have to work it, though. You have to process it. There's only so far you can get until the revelation of the Spirit of God hits you. So he warns, he warns us about this, and he emphasizes the seriousness of the matter. He does so by using two specific terms. Okay, you ready for the two terms? The first is the last hour and the Antichrist. Both terms make it clear that followers of Jesus or Christians are living in an hour then of crisis and must guard against the errors of the enemy. So when John or the readers of the New Testament say language such as you're in the last hour, what this means theologically is when you look at the whole scheme of the Old and the New Testament of the Bible from the beginning to the end, the Old Testament is is pointing towards a Savior and and a God that's going to kind of make all things right of what Adam and Eve did in this sin and rebellion to God. And so God will use people over and over and over, and he, he, he specifies in the people with Abram and Abraham. He's the one who acknowledges him, and he sees his faith as righteousness. And so then from Abraham, there's this seed of generation of people, which are the Israelites. And so then the Israelites are like the depiction of you and I over and over and over again, messing up, Right? But there's an echo. They're looking towards a savior because they can't fully get all of their sins wiped. They're just like still in this distraught nature. And so finally, again, what happens is this pinnacle moment. Jesus is on the scene. He dies. He's resurrected and he ascends. And in the moment of the ascension and him sitting at the right hand of the father, that is when the last hour is. Does that make sense? So if you saw like a chronological map and you see the ascension of Christ... He's sitting at the, that's the last, from anything on afterwards is the last hour. So when you read that, like, I don't want you to be terrified because you might be like me and say, well, how long ago was this written? And he was saying, you're in the last hour. It was like two millennia ago. Am I missing something here? So that language is sort of like crisis language. So the last hour is a term that reminds us that a new age then has dawned. 1 John 2, 8 said, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Since the death and resurrection of Christ, like I said, God is doing a new thing in this world. He's doing a new thing. We have to be aware of it, keen of it. So God is not limited by time, by the way, when it says the last hour. This is very important to know. His, his cre- we are, we're limited by time. Like I wish I knew exactly what was going to happen like 10 years from now. I like love thinking of the future and planning it out, and I've, I've made a mess of that many times where I thought something was going to happen, it didn't happen, it's just like, Lord, help me. So we have to realize then that, that God, he's not like linear in time. I've talked about this before. He's, he's omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere. He's a million galaxies away from, a million light years away from now, and he's millions of light years away in the past, in, in, in the present. He's 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 not confined to our time limit, right? We have to realize that. So God works in human time with Jesus, with what we're doing, but he's above time. So 2 Peter 3 says, with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. So 
when you read you're in the last hour, to, to the Lord that could mean you still got like a thousand plus years to go, but it's the last hour. There's, you're in crisis mode. So the last hour or the last times are phrases that describe a kind of time, not a duration. Does that make sense? Not a time, kind of time, not a duration. So in other words, Christians, followers of Jesus have always been living in the last hour, in crisis days, post Christ going and being resurrected. Consequently, it's important that we know then what we believe and why we believe it. Right? Like, you guys with me on that? Like, we, we should probably know then what we believe and why we believe it because we are in, in fact, the last hour, the last days, crisis mode. And we could all kind of be honest with each other and say, like, it seems to, like, be getting worse as far as the injustice and, and the unrighteousness and the wickedness of the day. Like, it seems to be getting worse. The next would be Antichrist. Okay, you guys with me on this one? <laughs> Let's go into this. So th this is a second term John uses, and he, he's used this in the Bible. Um, primarily, John uses this in 1 John 2, 18 and 22, and 1 John 4, chapter, 3, chapter 4, verse 3, and then in 2 John uh, chapter 7, and then Paul uses language of like a man of lawlessness, and also the echo of the Antichrist is in the book of Revelation. Now, let me just premise this, okay? I grew up, my mom, this isn't bad. I'm, I'm glad she did this because the Bible says you're blessed if you read the book of Revelation at the end. It's the only book that says that. My mom would play, I've told you this before, she would play the tape of the book of Revelation. I think Zach, my brother's in the back, like she would put that on in our like cassette and it would audibly speak the book of Revelation. And um, there was like thunder in it and you could hear like the horse feet. It's like, and the black horse was coming. And the white horse, you know, it's like, and I was like a little boy listening to this, like terrified, you know, and she like put the fear of God in me. <laughs> but nevertheless, we could be mis, we could have a, a wrong perspective of the book of Revelation that it's all hellfire and, and, you know, brimstone. But it's like, it's actually a book of God bringing his justice to the world. And, and that's a good thing, by the way, of God when you look at Genesis and you, you finish with the last chapter, he renews and restores his intention of Eden in the last chapter of the revelation of, of the book that John writes. So he says this, okay? This is about the beast and of the sea, all right? It says the dragon, that's why philosophers, Carl Jung, guys like that, that's all great. Philo I love that stuff, but remember, we have to be careful, you know, not to be deceived. So they actually use, which is accurate, the enemy of our soul as the dragon, and who knows, they, pro they probably got it from John, because he says the dragon, symbolic language, stood on the shore of the sea. Revelation, this is Revelation 13. And I saw, John says, a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. Now track with me, this is symbolic language. How do you describe like a helicopter 2,000 millennia ago, Right? If Jesus visits John on this island and he's kind of showing him some events, right? There's symbolic language, right? He can't explain certain things, but there's something here. It says in verse 2, the beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon, so there's a dragon and there's a beast. Remember, there's, there's God and there's Jesus. The enemy is always antithesis, anti-whatever God does, the enemy wants to do. He's a counterfeit of Jesus. So there's the dragon and there's the beast. One of the heads, it says, the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. 
One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like this beast? Who can wage war against it? Verse 5, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words, proud words, pride, and blasphemies, and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God. That was the intent of the dragon and the beast, blasphemed the name of God, and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people. And to conquer them, it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose name have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. It's like, how do I get in that? (laughs) The Lamb who was slain, that's Jesus. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. So three thoughts on this description of the Antichrist. Okay, you guys good? You guys with me? I know it's heavy, like, I think Dr. Fields could do a much better job at this, but, like, I'm going at it, okay? Three perspectives of the Antichrist. One, it's a spirit in the world that opposes or denies Christ. The Antichrist, little a, a spirit in the world that opposes or denies Christ. Two, a, the false teachers who embody this spirit. And then third, a person, an actual person, who will head up the final world rebellion against God. So that prefix, anti actually has a dual meaning. It can mean both against Christ and instead of Christ. Satan then, in his like frenzy, is fighting Christ and his eternal truth. And he's substituting his counterfeits for the realities found only in Jesus. He is after what Jesus is trying to do in his kingdom, in his world, in the kingdom of heaven here on earth, but also we're in the kingdom of, of like the actual world and we brought in through the spirit, through what Jesus has done, the kingdom of heaven here on earth. So this spirit of antichrist is in the world today and it will eventually lead to the appearance of a specific individual whom the Bible calls capital A antichrist. Now a little on this and then we're gonna move on, okay? We have to remember that there's antichrists, you know, there's, there's, he says there's going to be multiple antichrists, and then there's the antichrist. But we have to be aware because it comes like a dragon of the soul to devour us, to what? Lead us astray of Christ. So we have to be aware, we have to be keen. I would argue, many would argue, that Hitler is like the perfect example of a antichrist, right? Like wicked, evil, injustice, like wrath, that, that's impressed by demons in in the enemy. So 1 John 4, I'm jumping ahead, says this. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Spirit there meaning it's either like a holy reverence, righteousness of God, angelic, holy, or, or spirit meaning demonic and oppressive and evil and wicked. He says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. You want to know how to recognize the Spirit of God? Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that acknowledges that. So if we look at world religions, if we look at particular religions, we we know that they might claim Christ as prophet. Man, he's a prophet, 
But like, no, 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 I want to know, do you believe that he's the Lord? He's, he's, he's God. He came in human flesh. He is God. Oh, no, no, no. I, like, he's not God. He's like a prophet, though. It's like, okay, uh, I got to listen to what the word says then. That makes me a little uneasy, right? So in other words, if any, if another religion or ideology or ways to learn about God or you do not claim that Jesus is God, then we have a problem. Then I would encourage you to check and, and process and get wisdom and discernment because we can really be led astray on this stuff. Deception is real, friends. I know I've fallen into it at times. We all have at times. We must pay close attention then to truth and to lies, to truth and error, constantly checking our own hearts with God. Like, God, how, how am I doing with this? Am, am, I, am I making sure this is accurate? Am I making sure this is right? This, this way or ideology or practice or, or, or way of doing things and sort of like when I went to this particular place, like, I mean, I, I've been following Jesus for a while and I've like studied this stuff and it's like, that, that is not of God. I mean, it could be a good thing in human standard, but I have no idea what demonic oppression or influence you can't see in the spiritual world. I have no idea what impresses such practices, like calling on energies and, and omens and other gods. I would run from that stuff, man. And the Bible makes it clear in the book of the Old Testament, like not to participate in such things. And so I've got to be really aware and keen of such things, palm readings, right? Like, and there's the past which we might be naive to, God's goodness and his grace and his forgiveness. Of course, you can break those like strongholds, but we gotta be aware because we can be really deceived. Why? The enemy, the dragon of our soul is the father of lies and he wants to distort the truth in you. First John chapter two, verse 19 says, they went out from us. He's talking about potential people that follow Jesus. They went out from us and they were not of us. But if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, and it might become plain that they are all not of us. He's not talking about, we live in a day and age where it's like, man, I, I want to just go to another church. And it's like, good, go for that. We're not trying to hold you or take you. Like, go and be wherever your heart is. That's where you should go, where you want to be taught and you want to learn the scriptures. Okay, so he's not talking about someone just going to another church. He's talking about someone just completely falling away from, like, the truth of Jesus. And Jesus talked about this in the parable of the sower in Luke 8. He said, and the seed, right, like if, if, if there's this planter or this, this gardener, he's like throwing seed on the ground. We talked about this in VBS on all the different soils, right? And it's, you know, it's our job to throw the seed. So a pastor, a preacher, an evangelist, or someone just speaks to you about his truth and his goodness and his, his love and his mercy. And it, it's like, man, there's like that seed. But you can't control the outcome of that seed. You, you can't control the soil, but as, you know, people are just throwing and encouraging and you're, you're talking to people about Jesus, you're trying to be wise and discerning, Jesus said the seed, some of that can fall on, on rock, on rocky ground, and those, when they hear the word, they rejoice with joy. It's like, man, that's so good. Like, I love that stuff. Like, Jesus, he forgives me. He's for me. He's not against me. I want that Jesus. But Jesus said, like, that soil was rocky, and the problem with that is it has no root, though. And so when I look at this, like, internally, I'm like, God, like, I don't want to be that guy. I, I want my, my, the, the seed, however that I can, participate with you. How do I get my root to go as deep as it possibly can with you, God? Because he says there will be seed that falls on rocky ground, and the root does not go deep at all. It actually has no root. And he says they believe for a while, 
And in time of testing, they fall away. So look at this description, description in 1 Timothy. It says this. Now the Spirit, Spirit of God, capital S, expressingly says that in latter times, right, some will depart from the faith by, watch this, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. It's like terrifying. It's like you don't wake up in the morning and say, I want to participate with a demon. You know, like we don't do that, but we can be deceived. How do you know? How do I, like, we have to be aware. What does the Bible say? Do they, do they proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord? Right? Like, what is the spirit imposing, encouraging? And so, like, you can be led by that. And then it says, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Meaning, they don't think it's wrong. They don't think it's untrue. They think it's the truth. So you just got to be careful of that. I, I have to be careful of that. We have to be careful of such things. Luke 22 says this. This is Jesus talking to Peter, Simon. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan, the dragon of your soul, the enemy, has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Another translation says, he has demanded that basically I hand you over. But I, Jesus says, I've prayed for you. So Simon, that your faith may not fail. And that, like, that's like, well, we should all be doing that for each other in this church, right? Praying for each other. Praying that God would, would have you. Praying that the spirit of, of, of God would, would hold you and that your faith would not fail you. And so a brother or sister falls like, man, we gotta be right there to participate with the kingdom. How can I be a service to you? How can I help you? How can we have a conversation? Maybe you just need someone to listen to you. Then I wanna participate in such things. I gotta be praying and I gotta be doing what Jesus would do. He's our rabbi. So he says, I've prayed for you, Peter, but like the enemy wants you, man. Like he really wants you. So I got phenomenal news. We're, 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 we're done with the bad news. You guys good? It's like we just have to talk about this stuff. Like it's in the Bible. It's, it's like I can't get away from this, right? I'm not like necessarily exegetical like verse by verse, chapter by chapter, like, but like I'm sure you could see we're going over every portion of the passages. I can't. I told Kel, I was like, oh, this is a hard one, Kel, but we got to hit on it, you know? So the phenomenal news as we come to a close is that Jesus has equipped you. That's what John says. Jesus has equipped you. He's given you the spirit of God. If you claim Christ's likeness, if you claim that you're a follower of Jesus, through the presence of God, we just talked about it, he has, not will, he already has equipped you. You have to be aware and keen to such thing. You have to go deeper and let your root sink deeper. And he's given you what? The spirit of God. An awareness that can only come from him. So verse 20 says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. That's good news this morning. You, follower of Jesus, if you've claimed Christ's likeness, if you've walked in his way, you have this anointing from the Holy One, from God, from the Spirit of God. And all of you know the truth, all of you. What he means by that is you know Jesus. He is truth. And I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, you don't know Jesus, but because you do not know it, because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. No lie comes from Jesus. So he, church, my friend, he has equipped you in this walk of life that could be incredibly deceiving. And make no mistake, it's no different than the time 2,000 millennia ago in Athens or Greece or, or Rome where all sorts of, of spiritual attacks and different practices, it's no different now. It's just, it's just comes in different forms, idols, 
like material things could be idols, you know, like you just got to be aware of these things and make sure that we're, we're on guard. He's equipped you with this, with this book. Again, I don't worship this book, but man, this, this book gives me life because the one who created it gives me life. He has equipped you with the word of God. Are you reading this book, church? Man. Brandon, I cut his hair this past week. It's my buddy Brandon right here. And he's like, don't give it away. We were talking about like David and, and, and Absalom. And I'm like, oh, as a pastor, I'm like, okay, he's reading the word. That's good stuff. I love that. We have to be equipped. You have to know the stories. You have to know the truth because the truth, it will, it will penetrate deep within your soul. And so then when we go on this journey of life, we'll be able to discern. But if we don't know the word of God, how will you know how to discern? Over and over and over, he talks, the, the apostles and, and, and the epistles talk about the teaching of God. We have to learn. We have to grow. And there's no excuse for it, really. So if you're in Christ, he's given you his spirit. Are you in Christ? He's given you his spirit. It's sealed, it's marked, you can unleash, it's, it's within you, the spirit of the living God. And when you look at the background and you read the gospels, you see Jesus himself over and over and over again says, he was anointed by the spirit. The, the gospels say that about Jesus, that Jesus was anointed by the spirit. And if we are to be his apprentices or his followers, right, his little Christ, then we ought to kind of get in line with, if we, if you really believe without a shadow of a doubt, and I know it's an audacious uh, claim, that Jesus is the only way to eternal life, if you really believe that, then we got to like live what he said to live, do what he said to do, be the type of person that he was, and like we're all on route to that, and we have a lot of work, myself included, Lord help me. So this last verse says, and as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. So does this mean that like you've been listening to me for the last, I don't know, 30-something hour, like minutes, hours? <laughs> and it's like, well, what are you saying, Pastor John's saying don't be taught? It's not what he's saying. John is not saying we don't need teachers. He's not saying that. He's actually teaching them right now and writing them a letter for that very purpose. Jesus and the apostles, John included, are very clear that disciples of the way need godly qualified teachers to help understand and apply God's word. So when John says, because you have the spirit, you don't need anyone to teach you, he's saying you don't need anyone to teach you something new. You know Christ. You should. You should be following him. It's not my job to do that. It's not anyone else's job to do that. It is your job to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as your rabbi, as a disciple, as an apprentice, and only you and God know what that like really looks like. But I don't want to be deceived, man. I don't want like the dragon of my soul to like deceive me. And he has, right? We've got to be on guard. We've got to be aware. So Jesus has revealed himself and eternal life in the gospel. So you have what you need in order to have assurance and confidence that you have and can be forgiven. That God is, he's, Jesus is reconciled to God, right? You're reconciled to God and you have eternal life with God. You have that. Satan wants to deceive you. But Jesus, through the spirit, he's equipped you. Does that sound good? 
It's like, that's good news. But it's like, we got to be honest in church, right? Thanks, Grandma Liz. <laughs> we got to be really honest in church. Like, I, I, I don't want to be deceived, and I don't want you to be deceived. And that's why, like, we sing about the presence and the movement of God, but we have to, like, know what this word says. It's so imperative. And even for me, as I, as I come to a close, I want to, like, kind of put this out there. And I know logistically I haven't got it out, but I want, I want to start this. God's really put this on my heart. Like, the, the very first week of August, I've been thinking about this for a while, and I, probably, like, six to eight weeks so it's going to go a little bit into cruise, but that's okay. But I want to sort of do like a course and a teaching on like the Old Testament at large. And the reason why I feel so compelled to do that is it's so great to come on Sunday morning and to be encouraged, but like you got, we got to keep growing in this. Like we really do. I'm like, I'm not like this type of person that thinks like, well, you don't, you didn't go to Bible school, so you don't know anything about the Bible. That's not like what I'm saying, but like Man, when you start diving deeper into like what this book is and means and does, it's like there's so much more.